listeners, and welcome to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast, a podcast that explores methods and approaches that are used in research and science to connect communities and make sure that communities are at the center of all our work. Welcome to the final episode of 2022. I'm Dr. Kim Ozano, and today we ask you to join us in celebrating a year of Connecting Citizens to Science podcasting. I'm here with co-founder Beatrice Egged, and over the last year, we have heard from communities and patients, survivors, frontline health workers, policymakers, and academics. In this celebratory episode to close out 2022, we have brought together previous co-hosts and guests to reflect on what we have learned over the past year. To do this, we decided we would examine our learning along the translational research pathway. The Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, who we've worked with in this last year, They have a translational research trajectory that means that there is a continuum of science from basic research in labs to embedding change for communities and within sustainable policies and practices. LSTM works with a range of partners globally along this continuum. And today we will be hearing from some of those that have worked across LSTM, have been co-hosts and have different positions within different programs. So welcome to our guests. Let's start by hearing from Tosin. I'm Tosin Adekeye. I work with the Amadovelo University Teaching Hospital in Zaria. I work primarily in the mental health department. I'm Akinolwali. I currently consult on both sites of us on the FGS projects. I was I had a background in zoology, but then now I'm a social scientist, social parasitologist, doing the translation between from being a zoologist then coming to social science research. FGS is female genital schistosomiasis, a condition that affects women and is quite stigmatizing and can have severe consequences for women, both mentally and physically. I am Jamie. I was a master's student between 2020 and 2021 at the Tropical Disease Biology Masters. And now I'm leading a project, a fellowship from Wellcome Trust on continuous dysmaniasis in Guatemala. But we are collaborating between LSTM and Guatemala. I've been working in the UK for, for a bit now, processing my samples, but all the data has been collected in Guatemala. And I've been getting some guidance from my collaborators here at LSTM. We're bringing the, the research back to, to Guatemala. And I, I actually want to highlight the LSTM part in my life because there have been six people, I think, from Guatemala that have been at LSTM across the years, and all of us are working somehow together. So LSTM has been a big part for us at the university back in Guatemala because we know it's a great institution and we are always looking forward to, to collaborate with them. Thank you very much. So I think what's really interesting here is we have different backgrounds and we're going to hear more about what that means for the translational pathway. But I also realize that I don't think I've ever introduced myself in my uh, uh, background. So I have worked at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine for five years as a social scientist and a, a kind of methodologist around participatory research. And I think you're right, Jamie, it's the networks is, is amazing. B, have you introduced yourself on any of our episodes? I've been doing a PhD at LSTM for the last three years. And before that, I did a master's, the same one as Jamie did in tropical disease biology. My trajectory is an interesting one in that I started studying biology and I've moved much more towards kind of social science and participatory methods through my PhD. It's been really interesting for me to kind of work across different departments at LSTM. So I'm technically part of the vector biology department, but I work very closely with people 
in the International Public Health Department, reflecting my changing interests in areas of research. And NSTM has been wonderful at supporting me with that. So how should we explore this translational pathway? Maybe we'll come to Jamie first and ask her if we can get her take on what the translational pathway means to her and how it applies to the work that she's doing. I think of all of us here, Jamie is someone who's working very much at the initial stages of the translational pathway. So can we hear from you, Jamie? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So translational research can be defined in several ways, depending on what are you working on. Uh, but here, focusing on, on the LSTM definition, I'm at the first stage on discovery. My work has been focusing on, as I said, on continuous leishmaniasis in Guatemala, trying to discover and to understand which biological factors are involved in the transmission of the disease. Because we all know in a theoretical way that it is a parasite, it involves a vector, it involves a, a reservoir, a mammal, a non-human mammal, usually in poverty settings, etc. The specifics of this in Guatemala are unknown. My work has been focusing on the endemic community with the highest prevalence of continuous leishmaniasis in the country, trying to understand which parasite species, which vector, which reservoir could be involved, etc., and generating this baseline information. We want to create these control tools. Despite having little information now, we want to start implementing what we have found in the community. So let's say, now I am analyzing my data and I have discovered some three species that we weren't confirmed that we had in Guatemala. Now, this gives me more information that I can go back to the community and say, we have this, what are we going to do? We are not at the end of the pathway. We're just at the start, but we are going back to the community for feedback to start implementing something so we don't have to wait until we reach the four or five stages of translational research and then implement and see what's going on. At the first stage, with the information we have now, we're going to go to the community and say, so this is what we found. What are we going to do? Uh, for me, it's a bit of a cycle. It's not linear. It's a cycling stages and they all feed on, it, on each other. And you can go back and you discover something else, even though you are in another stage. It has been very interesting to be working with the community, thinking about how we're going to implement, what are we going to do now with the information we have just uh, uncovered. I really like that. And I think it's great that you brought back that this translational pathway that looks quite linear can be very cyclical. And that's a beneficial thing. Also, as you've highlighted the importance of actually making sure that you're engaging with communities at every level of the pathway, not doing the discovery bits in isolation, and then you engage with people when it comes to implementation, making sure that communities are shaping all of those stages. I think that's really interesting. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, Akin, I wonder if it might be good to hear a little bit from you here as a, I think you have this joke that you call yourself a social parasite at times because of the transition that you've had in your career along this pathway. I started with a background in zoology, then at my postgraduate level doing ideology, trying to, you know, have interaction with the community to see how the prevalence of disease and people that are suffering from disease, you know, getting to see that people have this problem and you have to, you know, help solve it by bringing the attention of the government with the social science approach, we get them to see or to understand from the perspective of the community, what the Ministry of Health need to do to ensure that people um, actually accept the intervention. This is uh, what we call the perspective action research cycle, where we try to understand what is the problem. We get to the community to get their view about what we need to do to help them solve the problem. Then we come back to the table with the Ministry of Health to see that this is what the people are saying they need 
It's not about doing the research from what we used to know that we do the research and just publish the paper. But then we are trying to see that what we are doing is actually making sense and has having an impact from what we understand from the study to translating it to having an impact on the people who are actually recipients of uh, the intervention or who are also be the people that are actually affected by the disease. Yeah, I, I find this very interesting because I think that what you're talking about is stopping extractive science, just going and collecting data and publish and that's it and not having a real impact. What you're doing is collecting the data and asking the people what's going on and how you can implement. This is, this is amazing and this is what I want to do as well with the information I've been collecting in Guatemala, going back and say, okay, this is what we have. Of course, we are going to try to, to not forget the side of science and publish, but as a community, what are we going to do? How we can improve your lives? And that's what you're doing. It's amazing. Yes. I'm really excited about all of this because uh, I come from a background. Before I started work with LSTM, over 22 years, you know, of clinical practice. And what we were taught in the classroom was uh, wait for the patient to come to you. And then you sit down, tell them what they need to know, tell them how they need to understand their lives, tell them you know, how the therapy is going to work. But then having to work on the countdown project, particularly looking at mental and um, general well-being with uh, people with stigmatizing uh, skin uh, diseases. Now we have to take that around to using the community-based participatory approach, which is now not the typical clinical science approach where the clinician is the expert. Who says to people, this is how it's done. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. To going back to now listen, you know, to the people tell their story and tell it from how they have experienced it. And at that point, I'm the learner. They are now providing that information and saying, if you have an intervention, this is how it's going to work in our community, given our context. And then putting all of this together, finally coming also with my side of the science to say, okay, now I see it from your perspective. This is the science behind it. And then shaping whatever intervention they want. In fact, when we start to talk about the interventions, you know, we have to sit back and say, okay, how do you want it? Is it going to work? We came with some suggestions and they would say to us, that's not going to work here. Because our people are like this. And we had to listen. Now, when we came to evaluation, we found out that it actually works. You know, so they are really the expert. And that's how to really translate all our science into practice that makes an impact and a difference within the community. We had this intervention between the urban center and the rural community. And we did. Initially, the approach of intervention of mass drug administration was the same across these two um, contextual areas. Then from the study, they had to tell us that this approach may not work because of one, two, three. Why? Because of the status of the people, because of their belief system that they will not accept drugs for someone that is not an expert or that's not trained, that's not an health official. So they will not use that. We saw that when they brought up this by themselves, we tried to see 
how this will work. It was interesting to see that in the next round of intervention, when they used their own approach, which they suggested, the coverage was high compared to what they used to use. It's about how do we get the people involved to see how we want to translate what we are finding out to bring about the output, the health output we are actually interested in. You know, beyond the outputs and the difference, you know, something has just come to my mind. When we were planning for the people affected by skin NTDs, using photos to help people describe their experience. Now, qualitative researchers sit together and decide how they would develop themes, you know, and how all of those things would be generated from the data. Now, when we're discussing the method and looking at people affected by skin NTDs, who in our eyes are not as literate as us, particularly when it comes to science. You know, the question I asked myself was how they would help us in developing themes from the data that they had collected. Now, there's something significant there because as we sat down to say, what does this photo tell? What do you mean by this photo? How does that describe your experience? Then we began to look at the themes that were emerging from this using visual methods to identify those themes. I saw them literally tell us, this collection of photographs, this is what they're talking about. This collection of photographs, this is what they're talking about. In other words, they were involved in the data processing and analysis. It's not just the end point. It's also that part, that shift in our mind that communities can be involved in the science of data collection analysis that makes up the difference that we see. And that's very important. I completely agree with you. And coming from my side that I'm doing more quantitative research now, what I'm doing is placing traps for insects and collecting samples from skin to, to identify the parasite. Still, I need to engage with the people and talk to them. Our traps were inside the house, uh, near the house where they, they keep the animals and in the forest. This is a very rural area. For me to place the traps, I know that I need a specific height, but they know where. So I've been asking like, you know, where can I put the traps? And they all excitedly come and yeah, you should put it here and we can store it. Don't worry. Do we need to do something? It's just like, no, the trap, just leave it alone. It's going to work all night. We're going to collect the insects. Then when we collect the insect trap the next day, because it's a trap for all night, we show them, this is what we've been collecting. And then I show them pictures of the insect that I'm looking for with the, the sunlight. And the next day, when we arrive again to collect the traps, they're like, oh, you, you can see it. There it is. It's not it, but you can see that they remember what I told them because they are seeing a very small insect. There's some mixture of excitement when you find insects inside the house or when you don't find it. It's like, ah, oh, so there's no insect. So like, you should be happy because that, then probably the transmission is not occurring in your house. But when we find the insects, they're very excited. So yes, I, I agree completely that we need to involve communities. My country is a very diverse country. We have 25 different ethnic groups. Everything works different within each ethnic group. I think all research should be translational research, not just staying on the bench, but, but keeping all this together. So the projects, the results, everything can be more sustainable. I think it's great. What's coming across so clear is the community, the people that we work with, there are partners, they're at the center of what we do. It sounds like 
over this last year, we've really embraced that. And I know at Health Systems Global, we heard a lot about gaining trust in communities so that science can be implemented, can be accepted. So on that note, B, do you have anything you would like to reflect on at this point? And then I was thinking, let's get a learning that's happened from everyone over 2022. I think one of my main reflections and learnings is just about genuine community engagement and how often, while it's great that people are more aware of the necessity of engagement, how it can be often quite a superficial process and a kind of tokenistic process. I think what's been really um, inspiring about all these podcasts is the real genuine examples of real engagement with communities and partnerships that are built and just how much it can enrich and shape and better the research process by doing that along the way. I love hearing about how that's been applied to different um, disciplines, different contexts. I think that's one of my main reflections and it's definitely inspired me in lots of ways that I will incorporate into my work moving into the future. Yeah, I think Akin mentioned policymakers and governance actors. They are also part of the community of making sure that that translational pathway happens in reality and that the work that we do ends up in policy and practice. And we've heard in the podcast lots of passionate policymakers who really go to great lengths to engage communities and they do it because they care. So over the last year, if you think back to the work and your year and everything you've achieved, what's the main highlight in terms of engaging communities that has come to you over the last year? Jamie, should we start with you? Sure. I think that what I learned the most is to be adaptable because I had planned something to go to the field. But once I arrived there, one, it was very different than what I had imagined. I have never been to the community, the geographical space before. And two, my idea was to be doing something constant during six months. But when people saw that we were there placing the traps, they all started to, could you come to my place as well? Could you come to my place? And everybody wanted the traps. And I thought this could change a bit how I want to present my results. But the community wants this. So... I thought about it, how to improve it. We adapted in the field. So yeah, my biggest learning is being adaptable and being open to change that not everything is as you wrote it in paper, but in the field, you have to make fast decisions that are beneficial to your project and to the community as well. Yeah, it sounds also that the community have a right to say what they want from the research. It affects them and uh, they should be able to voice that. And we should be able to adapt to that in practice as well. Tosin. Yes, I think uh, my main learning has to do with power balance. As I listen to all the other podcasts and hear from people from different disciplines and different countries and from different policymakers, researchers, communities, it's that place of um, knowing that we're integrated in a whole, not separate, and we all are bringing our own contributions to making life better. That applies to power balance in that I'm not approaching it as I'm the researcher, I'm the know-all, I have this big PhD and whatever I tell you is correct, but it's that place of listening from both sides of the divide and um, coming to a conclusion coming to an agreement together. Wonderful. Our listeners can't see here, but we've got lots of nodding and thumbs up in the group because there's big agreement around power considerations. Akinola, what would you like to share with us from 2022? 
Well, I, I think they've mentioned so many. Just to add last is lean not on your own understanding and be open because you may not know that the person beside you may have the answers to what you're looking for. Being open is, is crucial. B, any last reflections on 2022 and your learning? I think it's been really interesting for me doing this podcast, obviously talking to such a range of different people and seeing the parallels to the approach that I wanted to take in my work applied to other fields and other areas. And I think realizing as I um, continue with my work that it really is based on a kind of participatory action framework. And that's been a real focus of a lot of the podcast episodes, hearing about how participatory action research is used for all kinds of different health issues in different contexts has really given me a lot of learnings to bring back to my own work in India. Um, and it's also been great to hear from Jamie, who's also working in a kind of intersection of entomology and social science participatory aspects as well. I'm just really grateful to have the opportunity to hear from so many other inspiring researchers and stakeholders in the global health space. Thanks very much. I think for me, just to end, I think the intersection between research and activism, B, as you were speaking then, you talked about action and, and our research is very much about making sure that action happens and understanding how research links with activism and change, I think, is something I would like to see in 2023 and understand more about. So thank you, everyone, for participating in our last celebratory podcast of 2022. Listeners, we are not leaving you. We will continue in 2023. And we are excited to start planning the episodes for next year. So do like, share, rate, subscribe over the new year and the festivities. And all the best. Thank you, everyone. Until next year. Bye for now. Bye.